0: The Lord be with you. Good morning and welcome to IPC Zurich. If you're visiting with us this morning, an especially warm welcome to you. If you look around you, you'll see a wonderfully diverse congregation. But more importantly, as you look around you, you will see a wonderfully united congregation, united in their faith in Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please join me now in prayer as we prepare our hearts now for worship. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, your word is life. Come this morning with saving power to free our praise, inspire our prayer, and shape our lives. For the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord.
1: Amen. Today's Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40, and can be found on page 618 of the Church Bibles. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding, so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eye away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness preserve my life. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading comes from John chapter one, verses 35 to 42, and can be found on page 1064 of your church Bibles. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. This too is the word of the Lord.
0: So this morning I'd like to start our discussion of the calling of Peter, Jesus' disciple Peter, by first talking about the church season of Lent. Anyone ever heard of Lent? Yeah, okay. Really, I mean, some people might not have, don't know. Anyway, for some reason, anyway, uh, some of us think of Lent and we think immediately of giving things up, right? Anyone think of that in that terms, right? Lent's all about giving things up. So not necessarily we giving something up, but other people may be giving something up, right? Uh, we, pe- we think of people giving up uh, meat on Fridays, Uh, People giving up sweets, people giving up fast food, people giving up soda, uh, people giving up coffee. Now, if you note here, I'm going in order of addictiveness, okay? (laughs) So we started with meat on Fridays. We've gone to sweets, fast food, soda, coffee, now alcohol, uh, giving up vaping, and finally Instagram. (laughs) Do I speak truth this morning? All right. So abstaining from yummy things and abstaining from naughty things, or abstaining from yummy naughty things, is what some of us probably think about when we hear this word lent. Now many of us probably gain this perspective by either being Roman Catholic ourselves or knowing people who were Roman Catholic. That's very strong in that tradition. The Lenten tradition is very much about giving things up if you're Catholic, Roman Catholic. But of course, as of late, many Protestants have joined in with this. Uh, They also are abstaining and refraining uh, during this season of Lent. Traditionally, though, most Protestants have not done any type of Lent, uh, say, or a serious Lent celebration or recognition. Uh, Instead, it's been I would say celebrated more as the, a, a Good Friday Advent, let's call it. A Good Friday Advent. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, for Protestants, Lent has been a time of year leading up to Good Friday, a time where we remember the suffering death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's a time we remember Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. And all this leads up to Good Friday and then Easter. That's kind of the the traditional, if you will, Protestant uh, remembrance or recognition or practice of Lent. It has a lot to do with Good Friday and then Easter. Okay, so different Christian traditions uh, practice Lent in different ways, but let's ask ourselves this now. What do you think the original intent and the original practice of Lent was in the Christian church? What did it look like, for example, in the, well, if not early church, the earlier church? Well, let's explore that a bit. And let's explore it for this reason. Let's explore it not only so that we might gain some insights into the practice of Lent, but more so, much more so, let's explore it so that we might gain some insight into the practice of Christian discipleship. Let's explore it so that we might better understand what being a disciple of Jesus Christ is all about. The practice of Lent and the nature of discipleship, you see, they're related. So let me explain a little bit how this goes. And then we'll get to Peter. Don't worry, we'll get to Peter. So when we observe Lent as a season of abstaining and refraining, or when we observe it as as kind of this Good Friday Advent season. Uh, These ways of observing Lent, some church historians would say, they're not exactly, not exactly Lent as it was originally intended or originally practiced in the Christian church. Originally, they say, Lent was something a bit different. Not totally different, not altogether different, but a bit different. In order to find out why we have to go back to Rome in the year 313. So why go back to Rome in the year 313? This is after Christ. So in 313, a man named Constantine is the emperor of Rome. Anyone here of Constantine, right? Constantine. A year earlier in 312, Constantine had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And in 313, the next year, he issues an edict, an edict called the Edict of Milan, or Milan. And in this edict, he not only legalizes Christianity in the Roman Empire, but he makes it, as one scholar says, preferable. Preferable. It's the preferred religion. So politically, socially, economically, it is now good to be a Christian, if you are in the Roman Empire. Whereas beforehand, you might say, it was bad to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. Now it is advantageous. Before, it had been disadvantageous. So what follows from this edict of Constantine in 313? What happens after this edict is issued? Well, surprise, surprise, lots of people get interested in Christianity. Lots of people want to join the church. Lots of people figure now is a great time to become a Christian. So they go to their local church hoping to get baptized so that they have the seal of approval in the Roman Empire. But now the churches have a problem. All these people are showing up at their doors. They want to get baptized as disciples of Jesus Christ. But they don't know what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What to do? Well, this is when some scholars say the observance of lent came in baptisms in the early church were traditionally done on easter sunday so a 40-day period of discipleship discipleship training you could call it a 40-day period of discipleship discipleship training was developed by the church in this time leading up to easter and in this period of 40 days it was hoped that those who wanted to be baptized would be sufficiently prepared to be baptized, that they would be taught how to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So by the time these would-be Christians were baptized on Easter Sunday, they would have had 40 days of Bible study, 40 days of catechism instruction, 40 days of practicing spiritual disciplines like fasting and prayer this 40-day season of Lent, this 40-day season of preparation would hopefully then make them ready to be followers of Jesus Christ. But it was not only the new Christians who would come to participate in this 40, these 40-day 40 uh, training periods. Veteran Christians would do so too. They too would participate in this time of preparation. And as before, this 40-day A season of preparation would be about practicing true discipleship. These veteran Christians, too, would learn not only about the meaning and significance of the death of Jesus Christ, but even more so, perhaps, how to respond to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How then to go on and live your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. They would be reminded, then, how to live as Christians during this Lenten period. One church history scholar puts it this way emphasizing how at the, its beginnings, Lent was not just about focusing on Christ's death on the cross, giving up guilty pleasures, but also about one's response as a disciple of Christ to his suffering and death. One's response to the forgiveness he's achieved. Uh, the scholar says this, he says, In terms of doctrine, this put the emphasis of Lent not only on God's gift of forgiveness, which is justification, but also on the gift of new life in Christ in the Holy Spirit. Sanctification. Continuing the quote here. Lent was a time for new and veteran Christians to live into. To practice the basic moves of the Christian life. To deny oneself. To turn to Jesus. To put off things like gossip and bitterness. And to put on patience and compassion. End of the quote. So that's an ancient understanding of Lent then. While Lent is certainly a time to reflect on the death and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it is also a time to consider our response to it as believers, our response as disciples. Which leads me now to Peter, Jesus' disciple, Peter. So over the next few weeks in the period leading up to Easter, in accordance with the original intentions of Lent, and according to what is revealed to us in Scripture, we're going to look at discipleship, and we're going to look at it through the lens of the disciple Peter. Peter is going to be our window into true discipleship, true discipleship but initially, perhaps, not in the way you think. I once heard a medical researcher say that he had learned more about the workings of the human brain through studying diseased brains than from studying healthy brains. Pathology, it seems, can be quite enlightening. And the same is true in the case of discipleship as shown to us by Jesus' disciple, Peter. Peter, starting out, as I think most of us know, is no all-star, right? He's no one's idea of the model of Christian discipleship. He's no one's idea of the perfect disciple. He's far, far, far from that as we encounter him at the beginning of his discipleship. But from his failings, from his faults, from his flaws, we can actually learn something. We can learn a lot, actually. A lot about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The pathology of Peter's flawed discipleship is going to tell us a lot about the nature of good and true discipleship. The bad, again, teaching us something about the good. So when does it all begin for Peter? When does he become a disciple of Jesus Christ? How does this disciple thing start for him? Well, in the New Testament, we have actually two stories, two stories of Peter's calling as a disciple. One in the Gospel of John, which we read this morning, and one in the Gospel of Matthew. So most scholars believe that the first stage of Peter's calling is described by John, and the second stage is described by Matthew, first to John. So in the story of the Gospel of John that we read today, we see Simon introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew, right? Manuel just read that. And then later we'll see that when when Jesus meets Simon, Jesus gives him a new name, doesn't he? No longer will he be known as Simon, but he'll be known as the Rock, right? The Rock. So in Aramaic, you could say that's Kephas. In Greek, it's Petros. And in English, it's Peter. Peter. It's Peter. He'll be known as the Rock. So it would be, for example, like I had met Jurg this morning as the pastor and said, Jurg, your name's no longer going to be Jurg. It's going to be the Rock. And the reason, as we know from anyone ever saw the 70s movie, Rocky, right? Because when you name someone the Rock or Rocky, if we called Jurg Rocky, it's because they're so solid. I'm so glad you came this morning, Jurg, to, to be a part of this example. <laughs> yeah, you too, right. Right? Someone who's tough and strong and solid and dependable and, you know, someone you can build something on. And in the life of Peter, we'll actually see that this is not a description of who Peter is at that time but who he will become, right? Boy, when Jesus calls uh, Peter, he is anything but a rock. No one would be calling him Rocky. But as we move throughout Peter's life or toward the end of his life, absolutely it fits. He is a rock. He earns the name Rocky, if you will. So in the Gospel of Matthew, we read that Jesus and Peter meet a second time. And that is at the Sea of Galilee. Peter and his his brother Andrew are out fishing. That was their job. They were fishermen. And Jesus calls them to the shore. And this is what he says to them. And he'll say this again and again to his disciples when he invites them to be his disciples. He says, come, follow me. Come, follow me, he tells them. Because he's going to make them fishers of men. Come, follow me. This really is the end all and be all of Christian discipleship. It's the long and short of it. It's the Alpha and the Omega, the start and finish, and everything in between. Come follow me is not a description of what Christian discipleship looks like from time to time. Come follow me is its very essence. Come follow me is what Christ says to all of us whom he would have as disciples. And in the time remaining, let's just reflect on what this meant for Peter and what it means for us. Come follow me. Come follow me first means my terms, not your terms. When you come to follow Jesus, truly come to follow Jesus. You do so on his terms, not your own. And how different this is. How different this is as it's always been, say, practiced and displayed in the church, right? I don't know if it doesn't matter if it's the first century or the 21st century. Christians have always struggled with this, following Jesus on his terms and not their own. A common human approach to Christian discipleship, a common human approach we're all tempted to take, I believe, is to follow Jesus not on his terms, but on our own terms. And one has to admit, it makes sense to do so. It makes perfect sense for us to do so. For when we follow Jesus on our terms and not his, this allows us to feel comfortably and cozily Christian while still being the people we want to be and living the life we ultimately want to live. Following Jesus on our terms and not his, we still get to hold many of the same beliefs. We still get to possess many of the same values. We still get to make many of the same choices. We still get to take many of the same decisions. We still get to keep many of the same opinions. We still get to embrace many of the same ideas. Hardly any change is needed when we follow Jesus on our terms and not his. Following Jesus on our terms and not his, we we still get to display the, the behaviors we want to display. We still get to hold the attitudes we want to hold. Hardly any change again is needed. Following Jesus on our terms and not his, we still get to pursue our goals and objectives in life. We still get to chase our dreams and ambitions in life. Hardly any change is needed. Following Jesus and on our terms and not his, we still get to define what is good. We still get to define what is right. We still get to define what is desirable. We still get to define what is Christian. Again, no change needed. Yes, following Jesus on our terms and not his, we get to have it all. We get to have it all or so we think. We get to have the life we always wanted, and we get to still call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a win win. It's a win win because we can avoid all the painful sacrifices of belonging to Christ while still claiming all the wonderful benefits of belonging to Him. Well, as we'll see in the next few weeks, Peter's going to find out that it actually can't be done. You can't actually, truly follow Jesus Christ on your own terms and not his. You have to, if you're going to be a disciple, you have to do it on his terms. And while this can be humbling, humiliating, painful, dangerous, difficult, and even sometimes deadly. It is the only way. The only real way to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. My terms, not your terms, Jesus is saying when he invites Peter to follow him. Second, come follow me from Jesus means my agenda, not your agenda. So all of us, whether we realize it or not, we have an agenda for our lives, right? We all have an agenda for our lives, whether it's to have a big, prosperous business or a large, impressive church. That's what pastors usually have an agenda about, right? Uh, A prestigious degree or a prominent position, a rewarding job or a successful career, fabulous kids, stable finances, a comfortable life or an easy existence, right? We all have our agendas. For some of us, our agenda might be about being the smartest person in the room, Or being uh, the richest person in the room, or being the most knowledgeable person in the room, or about the most hip and happening person in the room, or maybe even about being the rightest person in the room, the most righteous person in the room, the holiest person in the room. That can be our agenda sometimes too. Well, whatever the case, I'd just like to say we all have an agenda. And when Jesus says, come follow me, he says in effect, I'm not interested in your agenda. I'm only interested in my agenda. I am Lord and you are not. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't care for us. It just means that your agenda is not necessarily his agenda. And next week we're going to find out, we're going to look at how Peter finds this out. Peter has an agenda, both for himself and for Jesus. But Jesus pretty quickly disabuses Peter of any notions that he can follow his own agenda and be Jesus' disciple. Come follow me, Jesus says to Peter. My agenda, not yours. Finally, when Jesus says come follow me, he means my priorities, not your priorities we all have ideas of what's important, right? When one becomes a true disciple of Jesus Christ, what we think is important uh, doesn't necessarily change right away either, right? When we'll see in, in Peter's journey of discipleship, right before he becomes a disciple and right after he becomes a disciple, he pretty much values the same kinds of things. There isn't a huge change. But what we will see In Peter's journey of discipleship, it's progress. We'll see change. We'll see transformation. Peter's going to start out thinking certain things are important. And he's going to end up thinking other things are important. And these other things he starts to think are important are actually the things that Jesus Christ thinks are important. And this is something that's got to happen to all those who profess to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Priorities have to change. When Jesus Christ commands someone to come and follow him, he's commanding them to value more and more what he values. To embrace more and more what he embraces. To regard or give regard more to what he gives regard to. Now, later in the series, we'll see what this actually looks like a bit more, more concretely. But I can assure you of this already. I'll give you a little preview here. This process of valuing what Jesus values. It is not going to be about maximizing your career potential or optimizing your economic outcomes. This process of valuing what Jesus values is not going to be about the quality of your research nor is it going to be about the excellence of your scholarship. This process of valuing valuing what Jesus values, it's not going to be about achieving financial security or enjoying personal safety. It's not going to be about expanding your kids' uh, educational opportunities or enhancing your family's social status. This is not going to be about belonging to the winningest political party or belonging to or leading the most fabulous church. It's not even going to be about how many Bible verses you memorize. How many prayers you recite. How much money you give to missions. How much work you do for the church. In short, valuing what Jesus values is not going to be about any of the things that we use to make ourselves feel significant. No. Valuing what Jesus values will be more about the kingdom of God. And it will be about valuing what is important in his perfect kingdom of peace and joy. What counts there will hopefully begin to count for us here. Come follow me, Jesus says, my priorities, not your priorities. Apostle John puts it very well when he says this about discipleship. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. When Peter starts out as Jesus' disciple, he doesn't walk as Jesus walked. He wants to walk how he wants to walk. But, this will change. This will change because those whom Jesus truly calls, he ultimately transforms. By the power of his Holy Spirit, Jesus transforms them into the people he wants them to be. He transforms them into people who respond to his grace, who respond to his suffering and death, who respond to His forgiveness with these types of words, "Your terms, Lord, not mine. Your agenda, Lord, not mine. Your priorities, Lord, not mine. They respond to His grace by living the kind of lives He wants them to live. So in the next few weeks, as I mentioned before, we're going to learn from Peter. We're going to learn how not to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're going to learn how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So let's do more than learn, though. Let's be transformed. Let's be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Let's be transformed by the Holy Spirit so that we might live the lives that are worthy of being disciples of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. our Heavenly Father, we want to follow Jesus, but we know we can't do it on our own. So we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to help us do so. Work through your spirit, Lord, to make us the disciples Christ has called us to be. And we ask this all in his name. Amen. Go out into the world this week committed to following Jesus, doing so not on your own terms, not according to your own agendas, not based on your own priorities, but completely and fully devoted and oriented to him, the Lord of your life and the Savior of your souls. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and remain with you always. Amen.